Hey, good morning. I'm happy to be out of COVID jail. <laughs> it, it, it's real. It was real and it was bad, but it wasn't real bad. So <laughs> it's good to be here and thank you for uh, your prayers and all that. And, and we're good. Um, but, uh, one, one other thing, one thing I meant to ask Steve to, to announce, but I forgot, but I want to mention it now. Uh, one thing we found out last week is we chose to cancel the second service because we knew a lot of people were out with, with this latest variant and, and some staff was affected and all that, so we just uh, had one service. And we know we had a number of people who showed up for the second service, which I felt really bad about. And uh, we, we have a text message service. It's the, it's, uh, what, what I, I contacted a couple of people, and they were not on the text message. Uh, that we get. It's really important, especially in the winter months, because uh, you, you never know when the last minute we have to reschedule because of weather. So if you don't get, <clears throat> if you don't want to get the text message, that's fine. That's up to you. I'd, I'd prefer you get them because with these last minute announcements, we can uh, we can let you know. So um, you know, I can let you know, remind you of my birthday and things like that. <laughs> if, 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 if I have communication with you, but. Um, no, if you'll just tell, if you're not getting our text messages and you want to, because I know a couple of people I talked to did, but they just weren't getting them. Uh, you, you uh, if you'll take a, a, you know what a connection card is, right? There should be a connection card in the seat near you. If you'll take it and you just go ahead and fill out your information again, your 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 especially your your phone number, and and your email address would be good too, and uh, then. Uh, write in the little memo on the opposite side that you want to receive text alerts. And we will not, we promise you we won't overdo it and just send you three or four a week, but when things are important, announcements to be made, uh, we, we, we will alert you. So let's do that. <clears throat> um, let's get into the Word today. Uh, would you bring me that cup on the floor there? It's got some water in it. <clears throat> and um, I might need that. Uh, we're talking about experiencing God. And um, uh, it's, one, it's one thing to have correct doctrine and correct beliefs, and, and that's important. Doctrine's important. But just as important, and maybe more important, is that you actually experience the presence of God, that you experience the, experience the power of God in your life. And that's what we're preaching this series for, because we want you to experience the power of God. And I know there's a lot of criticism about uh, forms of religion and, and, and forms of Christianity that are overly emphasized experience over truth. Uh, but we can have both. We can have both. We can have truth, but that truth can be validated by an experience with God. And so um, I've often been intrigued by <clears throat> the psalmist David's enthusiasm over God's commandments. Today I'm going to talk about experiencing God through obedience. And I've often been intrigued by David's, uh, Psalmist David's enthusiasm over God's commandments. If you haven't read Psalms 119, I, I rec highly recommend you read Psalms 119. I believe it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And he goes on and on about the commandments. In fact, in Psalms 119, verse 15 and 16, he said, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your words. Now, that sounds kind of odd, don't you? Doesn't it? I mean, I don't think most of us think of rules and commandments and orders as something we get all delighted about or, or excited about. It sounds really strange, I think, to modern Christian ear, ears. It, but it's really clear, and it's really clear when you study Psalms 119, that he wasn't talking about 
the ceremonial commandments that were in the law of Moses, or he wasn't talking about the dietary commandments that were in the law of Moses, uh, but he was talking about the behavioral and the moral commandments that were in the law. He says in Psalms, we, we know this because in Psalms 51, 16, he said, you do not desire a sacrifice. This is after he had sinned. He had committed a horrible sin. And this was the, this was the, the, the Levitical system, and a sacrifice needed to be offered. But he understood that this wasn't what God was after, that God was using the sacrifice to alert us to the fact that there would be a greater sacrifice someday who would come and die on the cross. And he, so he says in Psalms 51, 16, You do not desire a sacrifice, or else I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. So obviously in Psalms 119, David is not talking about ceremonial commandments. He's talking, talking about health commandments or di- dietary commandments, or, uh, but he's talking about behaviors that release blessing. And that's the way he looked at it. That's why he could get so excited. Because he, he says, you know, prayer is one thing and, and asking God to do things, but there are behaviors that release God into our lives. Um, uh, Henry Blackaby uh, wrote a classic book years ago called Experiencing God. Maybe some of you read that. And he has this quote in there that I want to give to you right now. It says, you come to know God by experience, is as you o- by experience as you obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. So what I want to do right now is we could, give, we could go a lot of places and talk about uh, um, uh, uh, directives from the scripture. But I just want to go to two simple stories that I believe illustrate the fact that we release God's presence into our lives and his power into our, our, our lives when we, when we commit acts of obedience to him. And I, hopefully I can make the case that this is not oppressive, but this is liberating. So let's go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. They were, he was teaching. And going ahead of him to the other side while he, was, while he dismissed the crowd. <clears throat> After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. This is like 3 o'clock in the morning. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Notice, Simon Peter did not experience the supernatural power of Jesus until he followed Christ's directive. When Christ said, Come, He took this huge step of faith, scary step of faith, to step into a stormy sea, and he immediately had the power to walk on the water. Now, we know he got his eyes on the waves a few minutes later, and he began to sink. But that's not pertinent to the story, pertinent to the point I want to make today. Now, John chapter 11, I want to tell you another, I want to read another story to you. John chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus had these three friends probably his best friends in life, was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he would go to their house a lot. And the, Obviously, they were kind of, uh, I would say, 
from everything we know, they were, they were rather well-to-do people. Uh, for, for one thing, we're going to see in a minute that they put Lazarus in a tomb and only the wealthy people had tombs in those, those days. So they were probably pretty well off. And so they took care of Jesus a lot. He ate meals there and they were great friends. Now, so he gets, he gets the call one day that Lazarus is sick. And instead of going immediately, Jesus waited four days before he went. I used to sing a song back in my younger days. He was four days late, but just on time. <laughs> so Jesus waited four days. And when Mary, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. While Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews also had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied, they replied Jesus wept. Then Jesus said, see how he loved him. The Jews said, rather, I should have said, see how he loved him. And, uh, but some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now here's what I want you to, to see. Take away the stone. He said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did not, did not I tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So he took away the stone. And of course, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So, what act of obedience for you would open up the person of God to you and the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit and cause you to experience the reality of transcendence and supernatural wonder today? For Mary and Martha, it was remove the stone. If you remove the stone, in other words, Jesus kind of said, if you'll take care of the stone, I'll take care of the corpse. And so what challenge is he offering you today? I know, we, I, I, know I understand the power, I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe many, many times God answers prayer in our lives just, as, just because we ask. In fact, being told to ask is, is a commandment also. But there is no revelation of the supernatural power of God without obedience, without us taking a step of faith in God's direction. Obedience is uh, how we taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, early, early in my ministry life, um, there was a whole church culture that existed that mo I, very few of you know nothing about. And uh, it, it was, uh, we, we had something in the church world that I was a part of, in many churches, it was something called revivals. And so there was, a, there was a need for people who went around and just preached four or five, ten days at a church, then move on to the next place and the next place. And that's what I did for many years. And I, I started doing that. Uh, my first revival was, uh, I was 18 years old, and the guy wanted my brother to come, and my brother wasn't able to go, so he said, would you take my brother? And the guy said, yes. And the guy had no idea how old I was. I remember after three days, he goes, how old are you anyway? <laughs> I said, I'm 18. Wow. <laughs> so I, I drive into the hills of West Virginia, and I, in the middle of nowhere, there was this huge church. And they, they had like, it was about like Bethany when, when, when everybody's here. You know, there are about 500 people come out in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia. 
And so that's, that's really how I started my ministry life, is preaching in these churches. And um, uh, I remember uh, on one occasion, I was, I was actually preaching in a place called Lake Wells, Florida, and fairly small church there. And uh, um, I, uh, I needed a certain amount of money. I don't remember what it was, why I needed a certain amount of money. But I had this, I had this thought that I've come to recognize is not me, but I really have come to believe it's the voice of God. And uh, I heard this thought, pay tithe. I don't know if you know what the word tithe means. The word tithe means a tenth. The scripture talks about it all over the Bible. The word tithe means a tenth. And it's a pretty radical idea that one would start to give God a tenth of their income. It's something that my family has practiced my whole life. It's something Sherry and I have always practiced. And uh, so it wasn't, wasn't a foreign idea to me to pay tithe. But this thought come to me, pay tithe on what you would like to receive this week. Now, I would preach in these churches, and they would take up an offering, and they would, give, they would pay me at the end of the week. And uh, there's nothing wrong with preaching for money, by the way. Nothing wrong. <laughs> and you do what you do for money, so it's okay to preach for money. <laughs> right? And so uh, I did it. I, I, I forget what the number was. It was probably $500 or something like that. I, I, I wrote a check for, I, let's say it's $50. I don't remember. I wrote a check for $50 uh, at the beginning of the week. And would you believe it? They hand me the offering. It was exactly, if it was $500 or $400, I don't remember. And uh, in fact, a few weeks later, I decided kind of on my own to do it again. I was at a tiny little church in Chesape- near Chesapeake, Virginia. A tiny little church. And, I, and normally they wouldn't even give you the, the amount of money that I was believing for. And so I, I wanted to make sure that it was all God this time, so I actually put the check in a mail and sent it to my home church in Texas. And would you believe it, the, the offering was exactly, whatever n- number I gave, if I gave $30 tithe, it was exactly $300 at the end of the week. Nobody there knew. See, the other, the other check, I'd written it to the church I was at. So I figured, okay, the treasurer saw it, and he decided that's what we should give him, you know? Uh, and our whole lives, Sherry and I's whole life has been like this. It's been like this, doing things that were risky, taking risks, taking chances, stepping out on God. I mean, the way, even the way we came here was so crazy, was so crazy with no money, no job, uh, nothing. Our car blew up in Providence on the way. We had Christy and Jay were a little, you know, like three and four years old, and the car blew up in Providence, and... Me and my brother-in-law, we actually pulled the, pulled the car down 95 with a nylon rope. <laughs> I don't think they let you get by with that now. <laughs> but I, we, I mean, it was just pathetic. I didn't have AAA or anything, you know? And uh, I, I don't have time to tell you all the stories that God just took care of us. You know, I believe the safest thing you can do is step out on faith. I believe it's the safest thing you can ever do with your life is obey God and do something that's risky in the name of Jesus. I'm not advising doing things that are risky and for your, just because your own crazy ideas. But <laughs> and I've done that too, by the way. But I'm talking about stepping out on the Word of God. We used to sing standing on the promises, and a lot of people are just sitting on the premises, you know. But... <laughs>
So obedience is how we taste and see that the Lord is good, you see? I, I tasted and saw the generosity of God by being obedient to Him. Psalms 34, 16 says, Taste and see that the Lord, of God, Lord is good. So, so stop right there. How does one taste and see that the Lord is good? What, what was the psalmist saying, taste and see that the Lord is good? Unfortunately, the Lord is not a human being that we can access in the same way as a human being. You can't just uh, invite Jesus for coffee and lunch. And you can't do that. So he, he's asking us to, to join him in, in the, in the minutiae and activities of life. And, and we'll, later we'll talk about physically experiencing God's presence, but the rest of Psalms 34 makes it clear how we taste and see that the Lord is good. It's, it's, it's not just by, like, I, I can experience you by inviting you out for lunch. But you, you don't experience God like that by inviting him for lunch. You experience God by obedience. So let's continue with this Psalm 34. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Okay, so tasting and seeing the Lord is good is taking refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you as holy people, for those who fear lack nothing. Uh, that means I need to show him that I take refuge in him. I need to show him that I trust him. I need to do something that shows I respect him, or if you will, fear him. He said, in, if you're going down in the, in the passage, he said, the lions grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. So I also need to speak and communicate in a way that God considers holy. And the rest of the passage says, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. And, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you obey God, you will be invincible. If you obey God, you will be invincible. It doesn't matter. I know how difficult life is right now for a lot of people. I know how psychologically difficult life is. I have conversations constantly with people that, uh, that we, I would call them worried conversations. Sometimes I worry with them, and then we worry about things that are going on around us that seem are out of our control right now. But if you want to get, get your life back under control, bring it under the control of the Word of God. Bring your life under the control of God, and, and, and God will make you invincible to whatever is going on in the world around you. I'm telling you, this is true. One of, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is John the Revelator, who was exiled to the, the, the island of Patmos, and they actually, Bible, the, the, I mean, history tells us very accurately that they tried to kill John by boiling him in oil. And they put him in a pot of oil and they boiled it. And he did not, he refused to die. He couldn't, they couldn't kill him. So they put him on this island called Patmos. And, and the Bible says that John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> here's, here's this one single man standing up against the Roman Empire. And they had ways of disposing of you if you stood up against them. Here's one lonely man who was Jesus' best friend exiled to the island of Patmos and when it came when Sunday came around he didn't say I was so depressed on the Lord's day I'm so defeated I'm, I'm having such a bad week <laughs> he was having a bad week 
No, he said, I, John, was in the Spirit of the Lord. He said, and, and he wrote, I'm reading through right now the New Testament. I'm reading the book of Revelation. He wrote this incredible revelation that we still talk about today because you are invincible when you're obeying God. You're not a victim of the culture. You're not a victim of anybody else when you're obeying God. So I want, I want us to think about what does God want us to do. That, that, uh, what do you need to do to show God you trust him? What fear do you need to defy in order to show yourself that God is greater than your fear? What, what discomfort do you need to maybe experience for a little while in order to enlarge your experience of God? God doesn't ask us to obey him to make him happy, but to make him accessible. Malachi 3.10, something I alluded to earlier. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Go, and, and so there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord uh, of the armies of heaven, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you don't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Can you believe God is saying this? Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail from the vine before, you, before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You, you are in, you're invincible because you have access to heaven's armies. Obedience is a taste test for the believer. Obedience is how we separate God's wisdom from human wisdom. See, obedience to God will almost always be physically easy, but emotionally hard. He said, by this we know, in John chapter 5, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience will be emotionally hard, and here's why. There's two, two major reasons that I know of. There may be more. Number one is social pressure will always be the opposite of what God is asking you to do. You will, in my view, maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm right, that you will never experience social pressure to obey God. <laughs> you know, if you tell your best friends how someone mistreated you, and, and, and wrongfully, wrongfully did something to you if, you, if you explain that to them, I'm telling you, they will not say, well, you need to forgive them. <laughs> That's not what they will say, even your Christian friends. Oh, God, well, you know the Scripture says, when you stand, pray, forgive. They will not do that. They will not pressure you to forgive. They will, they will in fact, encourage you to be resentful. <laughs> That's what they will do. See, psychologists have discovered that we as humans, in fact, do not have an aversion to obedience. We do not have an aversion to obeying authority, but we have a resistance to resisting social pressure. Uh, there have been several experiments. Uh, the, Mil the Milgram experiment was a famous experiment that psychologists did where they had, had volunteers come in and they had actors, and the volunteers didn't know that the people uh, on the other side of the table were actors. And they were instructed to administer a, an electric shock to the individual across the table. And the actor, of course, they weren't really electric shocks, because the actor was instructed to, to, to writhe in pain. 
And but because, because the, the people that were running the experiment had on lab coats, and, and, and they, were, they were, had deg degrees, supposedly, and they were doing this experiment, these people all obeyed. In fact, the, 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 in fact if the amount of electricity they were pumping, uh, supposedly, into these bodies would have killed these people if it was real. And these people kept upping the ante, more and more, more and more electricity to, to the people. Uh, the, the, other, the other famous experiment that you've probably heard about is the Stanford Prison Experiment. You heard of that one? Where, where, they, where they took a bunch of students and they made one group the prison guards and the other group the prison and they created this prison to see how people would react when they got an authority and if they were told to mistreat prisoners. And it was so bad they were going to do two weeks and they had to knock it off like in three days because these, these guards, these guards who were just totally nice people, people that sit next to you and live next to you and never bother you, normal people like you were so cruel when, when they were given a command by someone in authority that's incredible to them. This is how it works. So we're not, we're not opposed to obeying authority. We're opposed to being rejected by our friends and our peers and people that we consider intelligent. That's what we mean when we talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because the fear of people will make you stupid. Is that, you ought to write that down. <laughs> write that down. The fear of people will make you stupid. But the fear of the Lord will make you brilliant. <laughs> you see? You, you, in Nazi Germany was a, was a perfect example of this. All the all the, uh, uh, the, 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 the men who enacted this terrible atrocity in the Nuremberg trials, one after one they said this, I was just doing my job. And I believe them. I believe they were doing their job. I, I, I believe they're the kind of type of people that if they lived next door to you, they would never bother you. But they weren't mass murderers. Who just, they were, but in, in, in practice. But, but they weren't just psychopaths who, who loved to go kill people. But they got involved in a system of authority. So we're willing to obey. And we're willing to conform. But if you want to be safe, conform to the word of God. Conform to the word of God. If, if, because when you conform to the word of God, even if every other person in the experiment is mean, mean to the prisoners, you will not be mean to the prisoners. Because you are, you are giving in to a higher authority. The success of your obedience necessitates the power of, of your supernatural God. See? The reason this is so important is because the Lord's going to ask you to do things that will not work if he's not real. And that's, how you're good, that's why you're going to experience God. Because God will call you to do things, things in the scripture, things that he will communicate to your own spirit, that would absolutely fail if there was no supernatural power. Peter would have sunk immediately if there were no supernatural power. All Mary Martha would have, would have experienced was a smelly neighborhood if it hadn't been for the supernatural power of Christ who said, if you will take away the stone, I will, I will, you will see my glory. See, obedience will also protect you from your own unhealthy natural cravings and desires. I know, you, you, I know, you're all pure and, and everything. You, you know, Grubhub has... Has, 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 
has recently, they did a, a survey on desserts, and they found out that um, chocolate fudge sundae is our favorite dessert for Americans. And, and, and right after that is vanilla bean cheesecake, and uh, fruit crepes are right after that. And then caramel churro is right after that. And rainbow donuts are also in the mix of favorite desserts. And I will promise you, you would rather have a rainbow donut than a piece of broccoli. You would, you would. Have you noticed that? You know, I've noticed it. Uh, I've, a, a few weeks ago, I'd kind of gotten real undisciplined in my eating. And it was all I had to do with our move and everything. And I, and I was just eating you know, too, much, too many carbs and sweets and crap like that, you know. And uh, I... I I decided I would change, and I did. I did. I feel, I feel so much better since I just, just made some just basic changes in my diet. And uh, uh, I, I started to analyze this because I started eating fruit instead of, can, uh, instead of cookies. <laughs> and and it, it, I, I'd never thought about this before. I never thought how addictive processed sugar is. It's really addictive. I mean, like I can, I, I found out I could eat, you know, like a, I'll put some blueberries on my oatmeal in the morning. <laughs> and I have no desire to go eat the rest of the blueberries. No, it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing in the world. I have no desire. I don't, I don't go back to the refrigerator and just eat every other blueberry because I got the taste of blueberries in my mouth. But Oreos? Oh, man, that's a whole different experience. Oreos, I'm just going to eat two. <laughs> now I have a couple more. <laughs> because I'm not a health nut. I'm not, I'm not smart about these things. I'm not trying to give you any dietary advice. But I think there's something in those Oreo cookies that's akin to cocaine. Because really, there's a demanding voice in my head that says, eat another one. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying you need to trust God instead of yourself. Because you have desires and cravings that are opposed to the Holy Spirit. Every one of us does. Everybody in this room. That's why to save me from myself, I need to get under the authority of God. I need to get under the authority of Jesus because he, I don't think he really cares if I eat Oreo cookies that much. I really don't. I don't think it'll keep me out of heaven. In fact, they may get me to go heaven sooner. <laughs> you know? but, to, but to protect me from those urges that are just unloving and unkind and self-centered and destructive to my life and my family and my friends and my church and society... It, you know, we're living in a world that's under the control of the evil one, the scripture says. The Bible's very clear about that, that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. But God is raising up, 2 Corinthians 5.17, God is raising up new creatures in Christ. God is raising up a community that will follow Jesus and will obey him and experience his great love and power. Romans 8, 7, 9 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. I, I have that nature, by the way. I, I, my sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did. The, it never did uh, it, it, that's why those, I'll, I'll get this right in a minute. 
It never did obey God's law. That's what it says. And it never will. That's why those of us who are still under the control of our sinful nature can never please God. But if you're not controlled by your sinful nature, you're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. My final thing I want to talk about here this morning is obedience is the way we experience God's divine nature. You know, in the Middle Ages, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for communion. In fact, I was just thinking this morning, we've got to get communion going here again like it was. And, and I'm, I'm about done with worried, worrying about uh, all the problems with touching things. I'm, we need to go back and have communion again. So <laughs> be, be patient with me. Next few weeks we're going to have com- communion back. But, but I, w- I wanted to say that because I, I want you to know I believe in communion. But in the Middle Ages, the, the church uh, um, created what, what I guess the only way I know to say it is sacramentalism. They created sacramentalism. And, 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 and if, to be cynical about it, I think it was a way to keep people coming to church. <laughs> because, because if you experience God through the, through the wine and, and, and the bread, then, then, then case closed. You've experienced God. You're good. Well, the Bible, doesn't, the Bible lifts up communion, so we do it in remembrance of him. But the Bible does not teach that you experience God necessarily when you take communion. Now, you should take communion for other reasons, but, but, but taking communion will not necessarily give you an experience of the presence of God. It's a great thing to do, but what will give you the presence of God is when you take away the stone, or you step out on the water, or you, or you give the offering that His Word has, has, has instructed to you, or you forgive the person who sinned against you, and when you do that, that's how you, really, that's how you become a living sacrament. You are called to become a living sacrament, not just to observe a, a ritual and believe that that fills me with the presence of God. I, I propose you can, you can take physical communion and not even feel the presence of God. But you cannot obey God and fail to feel His presence and feel His pleasure. Amen? 1 Peter 1.4 And because of His glory... And excellence. He has given us great and precious promises. These promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. God's promises are always connected to a call to obedience. If you will, God says, then I will. If you will, then I will. It's that way all across the board in your lives. And I know it's for some of us it may sound like anti-grace. It is not anti-grace. Because you, do not, you, you still have not earned God's favor even after you obey. You still haven't earned his favor. You are a sinner and only Christ's death on the cross will do that. L- let me give you a couple of other verses. Ephesians 5.20 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 John 4, 7, and this, is the love, this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, oh, this is so good, guys. I hope you, hope you can wrap your brain around this. As he is, so also are we in the world. Do you get that? that the reason God wants you to obey, he doesn't just want you to, to know Jesus from afar. He wants you to live the life of Jesus. He wants you to walk. You're supposed to be like Jesus. You're supposed to walk. He walks in the water. You can walk on the water. 
That's what it, this is called the authority of the believer. God has God empowered the believer to have authority, to walk through the earth authority and actually do the works of Jesus. Jesus called the 12 and the 120. He healed the sick. He sent them out to heal the sick. He taught the word. He sent them out to, heal, to, to teach the word. He, he, he comforted people and, and, and lifted their shame. He sent them out to comfort and lift shame. Everything, he, Jesus said, greater works than, you should, than, than me shall you do because I go to my Father. The plan was always to empower you. That was always the plan. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now this is the process. I was never intended to be born again into a sinless perfection and total Christ-likeness. So today, I don't want to make you some extreme, I don't want you to make some extreme commitment that you're going to walk out of here and totally do everything you're supposed to do. No, I simply want you to consider where in your life right now is there one simple thing that you know would please the Lord. Just one simple thing. We're not talking about you going out and being sinlessly perfect and getting everything right. But what stone do you need to remove from the tomb right now? What water do you need to step out on? You know, this is the way it always was. A group of wedding attendants were told to fill water pots with water. And then Jesus turned the water into wine. I mean, some of us will, you want water in the water pot, Jesus? You go get it yourself. <laughs> no, Jesus said, you had to fill the water pots. A man with a withered arm. He wasn't even supposed to be in the temple, by the way, with a withered arm. It was against the law. So he had it hidden under his coat. But Jesus saw it. Jesus always sees your withered arm. He always sees your flaws. And Jesus said, stretch out your arm. And why didn't Jesus just heal it while it was under his coat? I don't know. Not Jesus. That's how he works. A paralytic man was told, take up your bed and walk. A blind man was told, after Jesus sped on the ground and put mud in his eyes, I promise I'll never do that to you. Uh, <laughs> he said, go wash in the pool. An adulterous woman was about to be stoned for her adultery, and Jesus said, don't go commit that sin anymore, okay? A tendency of Simon was told, come. A pair of grieving sisters were told, remove the stone. What do you need to do to move from pain to promise? You know, sometimes, you know, it's so simple. I remember when my kids were out at Rockford at Master's Commission. It may have even been before they went that we all went out there to this church. And as you, you know, the, those of you who are my age, you know, music changes through the years. And you know, it, sometimes it's hard for us uh, old geezers to embrace the next musical style. And because we experience the Spirit of God with a different musical style. I mean, I, 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 experience, I experience the Lord with songs like, Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. And some of you don't even know that. Well, I remember one night being in a meeting, and they were singing all these contemporary songs with all kinds of words, and I was bored. And I just like, oh, why don't they sing something that I can feel the presence of God? <laughs> and uh, I said, I started looking around me. Everybody was worshiping but me. All these other people were singing these complex songs and had their hands raised. Some were tears going in their face. 
And I had this moment with God when God says, you're the problem. It's not the music. It's you. And I, I begin to make myself sing, and I begin to lift my hands. And I know I can't, this is not, well, maybe this is pretty scientific. This is pretty scientific, isn't it, Christy? I did a scientific experiment. I followed the science. <laughs> and it worked. I, I sort of feel the presence of God, and I had a great night of worship because I obeyed the Lord. I didn't do what I felt like doing. I did what God felt like doing. And that's the secret. Let's conclude. We call this obedience a step of faith because it's outside of human ability to succeed at it. In fact, your obedience probably will not work unless there's a God. God's going to get all the glory and you'll never be the same. We're going to go from being a Christian in belief to a Christian in practice. And it's going to release the power of Jesus. And some of you, it's just as simple as what I said. You just need to raise your hands and say, God, I love you. God, I praise you. That simple act of obedience would release something into your soul that would change your life. Let's do it. Let's move in to the power and presence of Jesus. We don't have to be... We don't have to be spiritually broken. We don't have to be, we don't have to be spiritually poverty-stricken. We can be rich in God if we begin to invest in God's economy. Amen? Let's stand. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never taken that first step of obedience that lays the groundwork for all, which is to say, Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. That simple prayer. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Imagine that. Imagine a God who's given you the ability to release the very power of salvation just by saying some words. But that's what he did. He said, well, I don't know, just saying a few words can't change anything. Well, how many of you stood in an altar one time with a, with your now spouse and said some words. Ch changed your life, didn't it? Because <laughs> you said, I do. And, and you probably were thinking, I do? <laughs> Why don't you say, I do to Jesus today? I thought, it's too easy. Well, I'm sorry I made it so easy. <laughs> it's easy to follow Jesus. The Bible says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Say this prayer with me. Father, I come to you. I invite you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of my unbelief. Forgive me my sin. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Hey, let's raise those hands and give God praise right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.